Good morning. Uh, my name is Sharon Swift. I'm the pastor of Connections and Equipping here at New Life Fellowship Church. Uh, I just want to say uh, good morning. Welcome. So glad to be with you today. Um, in a year and a half of unusual services, uh, I want to thank you for joining me for yet another unusual service, uh, broadcasting here from my home for the sermon. So thank you so much. I hope you are safe and dry wherever you find yourself at this moment when you're hearing this sermon uh, and joining us for this service. Um, we are in a series right now on the spiritual disciplines. Um, and we are working our way through six habits to remain connected to God in a busy world. Um, really important series as we prepare for the fall and go through so many transitions. This is a great opportunity um, to really uh, prepare ourselves to engage in different disciplines. Um, we practice these disciplines uh, not to earn God's love or earn God's favor because we already have that in Christ. We are already loved by God uh, and accepted by him. Uh, but we, we know that these disciplines open us up to God's love and grace more and more. And so um, we treasure these disciplines, um, again, not because they earn us anything, but because they give us the opportunity to experience God's love and grace more deeply. And who couldn't use that going into uh, what promises to be a very uh, another challenging season in the fall. And so with that, um, we have covered meditation, silence, serving, and now today I get to talk to you about confession. And confession's no different as a discipline. It is another way that we experience God's love and grace. And I know when some of you hear confession, that is not the first thing that comes to mind, God's love and grace. Some of you may feel like you're squirming a little in your seat. So I want to just encourage you, don't run, uh, don't panic. Uh, I want to walk us through some of the beauty and the power of this practice. Um, and so I'm asking uh, that you hang in there. I promise it is uh, not a burden but a gift. And that's the main thing I want you to walk away with, if nothing else today, that confession as a discipline is a burden. It's not a burden, excuse me, but a gift of grace. Confession is not a burden, but a gift of grace. Um, it's a gift and it's also a discipline. It's something that God gives us um, as, a, as a gift, but it's also a discipline we practice. And so I want to look today at a text in James 5. I want to look at James 5 verses 13 through 16 um, to kind of guide us in this uh, discussion today. Uh, I will read this scripture for us, James 5 verses 13 through 16. Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. And anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. 
Let's just take a moment uh, to pray. Lord, um, we thank you for the gift of this time to explore your word together. And I thank you for the gift of technology that allows us to stay connected um, in all these changing circumstances that allows us to uh, still gather and pray and worship and uh, study together, God. And I pray that uh, wherever we find ourselves uh, today at this moment, your Holy Spirit would be at work um, in us and around us and through us, God. Um, I'm so grateful that your spirit is not limited to time and place, but that wherever we are, you are there at work. And so, God, I pray that your spirit would do the work that only your spirit can do. It's in Jesus' name I ask. Amen. Amen. Um, so, as I said earlier, um, there's a reason that some of us squirm a bit when we hear confession. And I think part of it comes from the fact that even in our world today, uh, we don't see very good examples of confession or we don't see it handled very well. It makes us uncomfortable as a society in general. Um, we don't always know how to handle it when someone confesses. Um, and we don't have to look far for an example of that. I can think back not very far to Naomi Osaka. Um, she withdrew from the French Open earlier this year and when she did, um, it was because she was not able to participate in the press conferences and she was getting fined for it. She was getting criticized for it. Um, and so ultimately, ultimately she withdrew um, because that was easier than trying to um, meet the expectations of uh, those around her, of the media, of uh, the tennis world and of commentators. Um, she did receive support, but there were many that also judged her harshly for setting a boundary and for needing to take a step back for her own mental health. Now, even more recently than that, we saw at the Olympics, we witnessed Simone Biles um, perhaps taking an even bigger risk because it's the Olympics, it's only once every four years, um, but she admittedly was uh, inspired by Naomi Osaka and to embrace her limitations, to back out of multiple Olympic competitions because she was at risk of injury. She backed out of a few different um, gymnastics competitions um, because she was at risk of injury if she was not at her best. And she too uh, saw a fair amount of um, backlash for that. There was also plenty of support, a lot of support, but also a lot of backlash and criticism, uh, people calling her names and um, really casting a very harsh light on her. And so we see this as, as a society and we see that admitting uh, their weaknesses and struggling uh, gained them support. Uh, these two athletes did get some support and they got help that they needed. But they also were exposed to the criticism and judgment of others. Their vulnerability wasn't always well received. And so that sticks in our mind when we think of something like confession. But also we, when it comes to wrongdoing, whether it's a celebrity or a politician or some other leader, um, the examples are even worse. We see people confess only when they're caught and they're left with no other option. 
and they often have very carefully composed statements um, written by an expert that will minimize their legal exposure, but try to um, start to win them back some favor. Um, and it's hard to tell if these apologies are real, are they sincere, or are they just a strategic choice um, to try to um, re reclaim some of their career. And so when we see examples like that play out publicly, it reaffirms to us that confession just subjects us to judgment, attack, condemnation, uh, shame. We worry that confession will do that to us if we take the risk, that admitting our shortcomings or our struggles and weakness will only make us feel more isolated, ashamed, like a failure. When in truth, the actual opposite is true in Christ. But it's not hard to understand our cynicism, our skepticism, that confession can be done well, and that it can be a blessing. And that's the truth. It can be a blessing. It can be a good thing. And we see a little bit of that in a case like Simone Biles, um, who did gain support and who did receive uh, some love. We see this in a tweet that she put out um, not long after. Um, the outpouring of love and support I've received has made me realize I'm more than my accomplishments and gymnastics, which I never truly believed before. She acknowledges here the support and the care she got, um, that it did free her and liberate her. Um, but for us as Christians, actually, we want to recognize that, um, Confession is meant to be more than therapeutic, and it's meant to be more um, than a uh, an option um, to uh, free us on a therapeutic level. For Christians, confession is more than therapeutic. It is transformative. For Christians, confession is more than therapeutic. It's transformative. Now, why is that? Because in confession, we see this ongoing process of salvation at work, that Jesus not only saved us from the power of sin, but that he continues to deliver us from the power of sin. That every time we turn to God in confession, we are living out our salvation bit by bit, day by day. And every single time we come, God's posture towards us is always one of love and forgiveness. Yes, it's true. It may be hard for us to believe that even after years of being a Christian and years of coming to God and confession uh, and repentance, that he is still uh, to looks towards us with love and mercy and forgiveness every time, without fail, without second thought. It's true. God can't wait to show you mercy, compassion, love. But it's even more than that. He makes his power available to us in that moment of confession. If we look at uh, 1 John verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is, who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, this is an incredibly powerful statement. He who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, that's the truth here. 
that in Christ, confession doesn't condemn us. It doesn't shame us. It doesn't uh, bring us down. It liberates us. In Christ, confession doesn't condemn us. It liberates us. Confession frees us from the power of sin. God's power is always available to us. He did it on the cross to free us from the power of sin. But when we come to God in confession, we open ourselves up to his grace over and over again. We open ourselves up to his mercy. We open ourselves up to his power to live differently. And that is actually why we often talk about repentance alongside confession. Um, because the biblical example in the law, in the Old Testament, into the Gospels, and throughout the New Testament is that we shouldn't stop at acknowledging our sin. We shouldn't stop at just acknowledging our wrongdoing or our weakness, but we should also begin to make things right and to live differently. It is out of the forgiveness we have in Christ that we also receive the power we need through the Holy Spirit that allows us to be transformed in confession. And so these encounters in confession are more than just that moment. They mature us more and more into the image of Christ. They make us like Jesus. It's the process by which we become renewed and transformed, experience the power of the Holy Spirit to help us live differently and live more like Christ. Like Jesus said, it's the sick who need a doctor. Why? Because without acknowledging our need, our weakness, it's hard to then acknowledge what the next right step is, which is getting help from, from a doctor in the case of being sick, right? If we can't acknowledge where God, we need God's help, then it's hard to position ourselves, to humble ourselves, to receive that help, even though it's readily available to us. Now, for some of us, it isn't that we hesitate to come to God in confession, but it's that we don't feel forgiven. If God is freely sharing his love and his mercy and his compassion and forgiveness, why do we struggle to feel that? Maybe we're doing the right things. We're reading scripture. We're feeling conviction. We realize we missed the mark. Uh, we come to God in prayer and confess but we struggle to feel God's love for us and we uh, don't sense that that burden of sin is lifted. We still feel condemned and weighed down. And I think that's where today's passage is particularly powerful because James is Jesus's half-brother. He's writing to Jewish believers who are following Jesus's teachings and who are living in the diaspora. They're scattered um, throughout the region. They're not uh, all together maybe as they originally were and they're trying to be the church but in difficult circumstances they are withstanding different types of sufferings and trials and you can see james address this throughout his letter um he's trying to address different challenges that they may be facing in a wide variety of, of places where they're scattered and he's encouraging them throughout to pull together as a community of faith and to do this together um, and so he wants them in this part 
um, he's particularly highlighting for them to pay attention to each other and to share in one another's needs, to share in one another's difficulties and joys. He talks about here at the beginning of this passage, are any of you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any sick? They should call him. He's asking them to do this as a body, to come together and to hold each other up in all these different circumstances that they're experiencing in all different kinds of ways. Whatever is appropriate as a community, they ought to be uh, experiencing these things together and sharing both the joys and the difficulties. And so he does mention one thing here that I want to highlight in verse 15 about uh, those who are sick and connects, connects it to the confession of sins. Um, and so um, I want to just talk about that for a moment that to, again, as I said before, James is writing to Jewish believers in Christ. They're scattered in the diaspora, but he is writing to a specific group. And so um, we want to recognize that there may be a specific circumstance here that he's trying to address. There may be an illness um, or illnesses in this community or in these various communities that he's writing to that are connected to unconfessed sin. Um, this is a big change. Before they would be going to the temple uh, to confess their sins, they would be dealing with a priest, um, and he may be trying to direct them that um, this is the way we do this as a community now when we don't have the temple, when we don't have, when we don't need priests as an intermediary. And so we want to just acknowledge that because um, we do know that there are times when unconfessed sin can cause illness in us. But we also want to note that sickness is not only caused by unconfessed sin, that people can um, be sick and it has nothing to do with um, unconfessed or unrepented sin, um, that there are people that are sick because we live in a broken world and um and sin still has dominion uh in the in the already and the not yet and so we just want to acknowledge that that that's um not a universal thing that everyone who's sick has unconfessed sin um, but that there might be um sicknesses that there are sicknesses that are connected sometimes to unconfessed sin and so yet another reason uh to turn to god in confession but even in this passage even after stating that James goes back and broadens this idea of confession to the larger body of believers. And so he doesn't just stop at um, the elders, but he encourages the body of believers to confess their sins to each other. We see that in verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Um, he is encouraging them to turn to one another in confession. And for some of us, this may be the missing piece that um, we are lacking when we don't experience the forgiveness of God or we struggle to feel um, that God can truly forgive us. Um, we know that we have direct access to God through Christ. That is not mandatory to have someone hear our confession in order to receive God's forgiveness. But there are times when we hit a point where we need the gift of sharing our confession with someone else so that we can externalize it, so that we can um, share that burden with another, so that they can pray for us, and so that they can affirm to us what we know to be true in Christ, 
that we are forgiven, that we are um, forgiven in Christ. We can hear that other person say it, and we can know that it is true, and they can help us to believe that. Uh, Richard Foster talks about this in his book, Celebration of Disciplines. Um, he says to, um, sorry, this is the wrong slide. Too often, we view the believing community as a fellowship of saints before we see it as a fellowship of sinners. In acts of mutual confession, we release the power that heals. Our humanity is no longer denied, but transformed. It's powerful. Our humanity is no longer denied, but transformed. This is difficult for some of us because um, this goes a step beyond our weekly prayer of confession that we do as a church on Sundays, and we will be turning to that soon. Um, that's one thing, that's one level, but confessing to another Christian brings us back to an uncomfortable place. Many of us may struggle with this for a variety of reasons. Maybe it's ingrained in our culture that we don't bring shame upon our family by talking about our flaws or admitting them um, even in a, in a small way uh, publicly, even just to one other person that would be uh, bring shame upon the family. Or maybe um, we were taught uh, in our culture that we keep our business to ourselves, that we keep those things to ourselves. We don't tell outsiders. We don't tell people outside our family. And it might be specifically our family of origin uh, told us that this is not okay, that we're never to show weakness because it might reflect on the family or um, we're taught that this is the safest way to not share it. Um, maybe it's the examples we've had in our lives, our parents, our bosses, our coworkers, our mentors. Um, I grew up certainly in a household where my father never ever admitted he was wrong. Even in the, if it was obvious, and even if it was something so small, he would never admit it. Um, my father had a lot of challenges for those of you who know my story, but I've encountered this with other people in my life as well, and I'm sure you have too. I've even seen uh, ministry leaders and pastors struggle with this. They're unwilling to admit they're wrong or apologize. But regardless of the person's position, whether it's a boss, a coworker, um, a friend, a family member, we've seen the damage it can do. I know I'm not alone in that. I've seen people uh, grow uh, more and more isolated because of this. I've seen the damage it does to relationships. I've seen um, them struggle to uh, reconcile that they can um, be admit they're wrong and not lose face. Um, that they don't have to live a life of secrecy that isolates them more and more. Um, their fear of being too vulnerable um, actually leaves them totally alone. But in Christ, we're sister and brother, and our authority to lead or to serve or to forgive all comes directly from God through Christ. We don't have to fear um, condemnation. Um, from others. And we know we're not alone in it. And in fact, Karl Barth puts it beautifully in this quote, when we confess our virtues, we are competitors. When we confess our sins, we are brothers and sisters. And that's the goal, right? That's what James is alluding to in this passage, that there is a sense of community um, that we build when we confess 
to one another. And there's healing and wholeness to be found there. Um, not only in someone in authority, but with our own brothers and sisters. We can be Christ to each other in those moments. And we can help each other heal. We see this play out in our world in history too. On national and even international stages, we see this happen. Um, and we see the struggle when it doesn't happen. There's a certain level of honesty that's required for true healing. And like I said, we see it play out in national and international uh, ways. When we look at a nation like South Africa and their truth and reconciliation process, or we look at the uh, long process to hold trials, um, to keep members of uh, the Nazi party accountable for what they did in the Holocaust, we see that there's a level of deep honesty that's required for there to even be a chance at real healing. And even then, in those two examples I've given, it's a long road. They are not all the way there. And we may see that even in our own nation today, that to be truth, truly honest about some of these historical wrongs would open up the possibility for so much healing. But it's hard, and we struggle to do it even on that level. Now, there's one more uh, obstacle that might keep you from entering confession that I want to talk about. And that might be our own preconceived ideas that it has to be a dramatic event. And for some of us, that comes from uh, our experience uh, when we first turned to Christ as our Savior. Uh, we may have had a dramatic moment where uh, we felt deep conviction about something and we, we turned to Jesus and lifted that thing up and uh, repented and accepted him as our savior and received his forgiveness. And for some of us, our early days as a Christian were marked with that. As we learned things, as we grew, we found time and time again, we were turning to Jesus, um, sometimes in tears, sometimes in a dramatic fashion and with deep sorrow, repenting um, for our sin and receiving his forgiveness. And for some of us, it might have been in other ways, in revival services and retreats at conferences where we um, had a moment where we experienced a deep sense of conviction or there was an altar call and many people came up to pray and to confess. And so all of these kinds of settings are good and appropriate ways to confess. There is nothing wrong with that, but it is simply one type of confession. It's one expression of confession. It's not the only expression of confession. And so as you may mature, you may find that you're not as compelled by these really big dramatic moments. Um, they may be happening less and less for you. And instead, you may find um, that the type of confession that's coming up is different and not as dramatic. Um, now, for some of you, there are some significant things you're holding on to that you haven't released to God in confession, that as I've been walking you through some of these other aspects of confession, you're realizing it's time that God wants you to release that burden. And so you may need to call a trusted friend, uh, someone who's a mature Christian who can hear that confession for you and pray with you. And if you're feeling that that is you, I want to encourage you to do that. 
but I also want to encourage you to be mindful about who you turn to and the timing that's involved. Um, we don't want you to just dump on someone who is unprepared or not ready or able to hear your confession and properly pray with you. Um, and you don't want to just uh, burden someone unexpectedly um, and kind of hijack them. Um, instead, you want to um, approach them, make sure they have time, uh, let them know that you, you have a, something you need to confess. You want someone to hear that confession for you. Make sure that someone mature who can um, then proclaim God's forgiveness over you um, and to help you uh, pray and to uh, repent. Um, we don't want to burden anyone unexpectedly with that. But for many of us, and probably maybe most of us, rather than this race to the altar, which we can't really do today anyway because of our circumstances and limitations, um, that may not be for you anyhow. Um, rather than that kind of race to the metaphorical altar, um, I want to point you more towards a lifestyle of confession. That instead of these big dramatic moments, instead the invitation might be a rhythm of confession, of, of keeping small accounts with God, short accounts with God, and instead to turn to Him daily in small ways. Um, what we might call confession light, as Pastor Jackie uh, coined for me recently. Um, it might look like you starting this week to confess and admit in small ways the ways that you got it wrong. What would it look like for you to make sure you actually apologize for something when you make a miss, when you have a miss? Um, to say, you know what, I'm sorry, you were here uh, online first. My apologies. Uh, please go ahead. Um, or to say to a coworker, you know what, I, you're right, I misread that email. I'm sorry, that's my mistake. In that way, in small ways, opening yourself up appropriately to vulnerability and to chip away at that false self that most of us, uh, that most of us struggle to keep, uh, that we want to keep up, but actually God is asking us to chip away. Um, when I became a Christian, this was a struggle for me. See, before I was a Christian, I would lie a lot to cover up things, uh, even small mistakes. Uh, I would lie or make up some excuse. Um, I wouldn't be honest. Um, even if it wasn't much of a lie, it was still a way of um, diffusing the blame and not really confessing that I missed it or I made a mistake. I felt like even a small admission of doing something wrong would crush me under a weight of shame um, because that's what I saw around me that the world in the world and even in my family of origin that I couldn't admit mistakes that it would crush me um, that it was just it would be too much weakness um, that people would reject me but I found that when I was became a Christian um, I realized I couldn't lie that wasn't something that was possible for me now in Christ and so I realized I had to start telling the truth. I had to be honest about my weaknesses, about my challenges. And so I started to be honest and I started to chip away in small ways at first. Um, sometimes I have to force myself to go back and say something um, just out of principle. Um, and I started chipping away at that idea that I had to be perfect um, to please Christ or that I had to at least pretend to be perfect or give up this false idea that um, 
this outer um, false exterior that I was perfect or that I could walk this Christian walk like a, a superstar. And you might be surprised that your honesty and your um, candor and your confession actually frees up others, just like Naomi Osaka did when she confessed her weakness and, and was honest with the world. It opened up the possibility of someone like Simone Biles being honest and being open about her struggle and her weakness and her needs. And so you might find that to be the case too, that your freedom in Christ actually sets others free around you too. It's more often than not that I have found that when I was honest about my weakness, honest about my struggle, that others were also able to be honest. And I found I was not alone, not nearly as alone as I thought I was. For some of you, actually these smaller acts of confession might be much harder for you than the big one-time dramatic purge um, at an altar. Wherever you find yourself today, wherever that struggle is for you today in entering into confession, I want you to believe even more in the promise and the power of God to meet you wherever you find yourself today. And I wanna encourage you to take that step towards a rhythm of confession, even if it means quietly confessing to God today that you need his help to make that a rhythm, um, to receive that invitation daily, to humility, to honesty, to vulnerability. Every week we pray a prayer of confession at New Life because we believe in the power of confession to transform us, to change us, to make us more like Jesus. It's a powerful prayer and um, it allows us to confess our weaknesses and our struggles without making excuses for it. And it allows us to receive, to ask for and receive God's forgiveness and grace and power. And so it's a starting point. And I want to point us to that now um, and to let it be a starting point so that we can really reap the benefit of confession as we move beyond just this weekly rhythm and start incorporating it in our daily uh, rhythm with God. And so I want to give us a few moments of silence um, before we pray the prayer of confession together. Of all the things we talked about, what's sticking with you now? In these moments of silence, I want you to think about those things. What is an area that you want to grow in when it comes to confession? Where is God inviting you to stretch yourself? in this particular discipline? Is it realizing that forgiveness is guaranteed every time because of Jesus? Is it realizing that confession never gets old, that it's always necessary? Is it needing to share your confession with someone else? Is it recognizing that even the small confessions are valuable to your spiritual growth? Whatever it is, Take some time now in the silence to lift that up to God. And I will cue us at the end of the silence to pray the prayer of confession together. Let's take a few moments now to quietly um, lift up to God our own confessions and to ask him for help in stretching us in this discipline.
Let us take a moment now to pray this prayer of confession together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and our neighbor through our own fault in thought, in word, and deed, in what we have done, in what we have left undone. For the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, forgive us all our offenses and grant that we may serve you in newness of life. To the glory of your name. Amen.